We're going to have fun this morning, I'm telling you. All right, Jonah chapter 4. I want you guys to stand here reading of God's Word. This is Jonah 4.11. This is God speaking. He says, But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us to be people who trust you, who go where you say, who, who do the things that you ask us to do, who realize that the best way in our lives is simply to listen and obey the first time you ask rather than run as Jonah did. Help us to be those who really take to heart the things that you say and talk to us and teach us this morning. Amen. Have a seat. Okay, we are going through the book of Jonah. If you actually have a Bible, you can open up to Jonah chapter 4 right now. Um, Last week, I mentioned that Jonah is the only Old Testament prophet that was sent to a nation other than Israel. Okay, And I also told you that I personally find much more humor in Jonah's plight than it seems like a lot of other people do. And so I've been called mean. That's okay. I just think I understand God's humor a little bit better. Uh, Jonah's theme is the theme of the Bible. It is sin and it is grace. Sin is seen as, as running from God and grace is God pursuing us, chasing us down, loving us. Uh, God shows up to Jonah, basically, and he says, Jonah, you're going to be a prophet. I don't know what Jonah's doing at this moment. Okay? Jonah can be like a blue-collar guy out torquing wheels on chariots. I don't know. And God shows up, and God says, you're going to be a prophet. Trust me, this is not a job you want. God ever shows up to you and says, you're going to be a prophet. Be like, oh, no, because it's not like the people you see on TV with the hanky going, it's Jesus. It's a prophet. It's, it's much more deep. Yeah, that's the direction we're going today, okay? We're just, <laughs> we're just going to go there. It, a, a prophet is someone who doesn't stand for mediocrity. They're someone who goes, uh, usually the people of Israel, and they say, straighten up, God is angry, do this. Jonah is called to go to a nation other than Israel to do this. G- Jonah knows what God wants him to do. I want you to go to Nineveh, this place of vile, mean, nasty people, and tell them to repent so they follow me. Jonah doesn't like that because he doesn't like the Ninevites, so he hops on a ship and he runs the other direction. It's as if a God walks up to a plumber in our church today and he says, I want you to go to Iraq and tell them to stop it and I'm mad. All right? And just as we have all these warm, fuzzy feelings when you think of Iraq or Afghanistan and Al-Qaeda, right? are like, oh, that's, I'd love to go there on vacation, take my kids, let them play in the fields. You, know, you feel like that's exactly how the Israelites kind of felt about Assyria and Nineveh. They were evil people. And not that the people there, you know, I'm saying they're all, we're just going with it. Just, just go with me here. He takes Jonah says, you go there, you preach my word, you tell them to stop what they're doing. Stop what they're doing. Uh, Assyrians are bad people. They, they slaughtered, they, they had on tr- three occasions actually tried to wipe out Israel off the face of the map. And so God says, go there, tell them to stop. They are God- and, and Jonah's like, I don't want to. They're godless, they're mean, they're an entire country that's run by the DMV. Okay. I, it, it's like this. Uh, I've been in downtown Los Angeles trying to find a parking spot. Okay? It's like those people. Right? Who are just like, they're flipping you off. And it's like, you're not even parking. And you're just trying to pull it. And they're just screaming and yelling at you and waving all their gang signs that look like a single finger up in the air. That's what these people are like. They're murder, theft, rape, witchcraft. And Jonah's like, I don't want to go there. So Jonah responds to God by disobeying. He jumps on a ship and he runs the opposite direction of where God calls him to go. Uh, actually, on this map right here, uh, Jonah starts up here in the, in the middle right. And he's supposed to go to Nineveh. Just a little jaunt to the side, a couple hundred miles. He hops on a ship and he's going to Tarshish, the opposite at the end of the world 
from where he's at. That's where he's, I'm going to get away from God on the ship, and I'm going to run that way. The ship is crewed by non-believers, by pagans. In our vernacular, we would say the ship is crewed by non-Christians. And despite Jonah's unfaithfulness, God is faithful and kind to Jonah. He sends a storm, which we're like, is that faithful and kind? Yes, it's faithful and kind. He sends this storm and it buffets the ship to where the sailors on the ship are like, what's going on? We're crying to our gods. They're not listening to us. We don't, we don't get this. And then they look at Jonah. What's going? And Jonah goes, well, I'm running from God. He told me to do this. I said, no, I ran the other way. And they're like, what? And he goes, okay, the, the way to end this is you throw me overboard. God will kill me and then he'll be happy. God didn't want to actually kill Jonah. He wanted Jonah useful. But Jonah's like, throw me over and you'll be okay. Eventually, they throw him over. A big fish swallows Jonah. And the sailors turn to this God of Israel. And they make vows to him and they worship him. And the very call that Jonah is running from is the very call that he ends up doing, telling these sailors about the God of Israel. Meanwhile, Jonah is swallowed by a big fish, which is a bad situation. And any day, I don't care who you are, and he has this epiphany while he's sitting in the middle of this fish. That God can choose to love anybody he wants to, and that God can choose to reach anybody that he wants to. And even these mean, vile, nasty pagans, unlike him, the self-righteous prophet. So in Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, Jonah realizes that salvation is from the Lord. And so God disciplines Jonah, as good parents do, but he never abandoned Jonah, and he never grew weary of Jonah. End of chapter 2. What happens is the fish pukes Jonah up on the land. I told you this last week. It's like you and your kids decide to go to the beach. Oh, it's a beach day. We're going to go have fun. Your kids are building sandcastles, burying you in the sand. Oh, look at that big fish. Oh, isn't that great? And all of a sudden, blah, and out comes the stinky prophet. He smells like downtown. Uh, I've got to think of something. I, I say Bangkok. It's a Bangkok class service, but I think somebody was offended by that. Uh, he smells like downtown Bangkok, whatever. Okay, and, he, and he's blinking. He's bleached white from the, from the stomach acids, and it's, and it's just... Just off on the, oh, and there's the prophet. There he is. So in Jonah chapter 3, God says, do what I told you to do in the first place. And so Jonah does. He goes to Nineveh, and in Hebrew, he preaches five words. God will judge 40 days. Okay? That, those are his five words. It's like you walk up to somebody, and you're like, okay, don't ever do this. But it's like you walk up, and you say, hell is real. Hell is hot. Hell has a seat with your, hell's a seat with your name on it. Forever is a long time. You're jacked. And you walk out. That's, that's kind of what Jonah does. It's like, there's none of this, oh, Jesus loves you. Let's sit down in small groups and share our feelings. It's like, you're jacked, and I'm gone. And he walks out, and that's all the preaching. Now, what happens is that that word spreads, though, to everybody in the city. God does this work. He touches everybody's hearts, the godless, the self-righteous, the proud. Everyone goes on their face before God. Kids walk out of schools to pray. Not to cause trouble. Businesses shut down to pray. The king steps off his throne, puts on the clothes of the slaves and the poor, and gets on his face before God. The whole nation goes down on their face before God. God changes their hearts. 500,000 people get saved through the preaching of one bitter man. So the sailors get saved. The Ninevites get saved. And now this is where we are. It's Jonah's turn. We're going to figure this out with Jonah. So Jonah chapter 4 is the conclusion to the book of Jonah. Uh, you get a picture into Jonah's head. You get a picture into Jonah's life and what that looks like. And theology will tell you that God is omniscient. He knows everything. That God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. That God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. That God is immutable. He does not change. But one thing they never tell you if, if you go to seminary is that God is hilarious. God is just funny. 
and he's sarcastic and he's ironic. And if you don't, if you don't understand sarcasm and irony, you will never get half of Scripture. Because you'll be like, I don't get that. That's just so mean. You've got to get irony and sarcasm. The greatest revival in the history of the world. And Jonah is mad. He is so angry about it. And the irony of this is that we also are Jonah. Because Jonah is very happy to receive God's grace, but was angered to see it extended to these people that he saw as godless and awful. And he believed that they were nowhere near as good and righteous as he was. This is a lot like us. So open to Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. Last week, all of Nineveh gets saved, and this is where we go. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Now, this, the word angry, this is like, Kids are painting on the walls back there. It's great. And the, the word angry here is like shaking. It's like, oh, I'm so mad. It's like when the Coke machine steals your last dollar. And you're like, oh, I'm going to shake this freaking machine. Can I say freaking? Can I? I'm just machine. And you're, and you're angry. It's like uh, Christians on TV where they can't believe people don't vote like them. And their veins pop out of their neck. And they're like, oh. And they're just, they're just angry. And they're red-faced. And they're just they just can't handle it. This is the word for angry. This is Jonah. He's like, God's messed up. God didn't do what he's supposed to do. Jonah thinks he is in charge, like he is on the throne. And God is supposed to bow to his will, like God's the janitor, and he's supposed to go and do what Jonah tells him to do. I mean, sometimes we're like that. God doesn't do what I want him to do. What's up with that? God should do what I pray. Therefore, God should do this. I, and we pray for some bizarre stuff, too. And this is the great prayer. Jonah has this prayer. It's like, Totally amazing. He's like, oh, God. You know, he prays this prayer. He prayed to the Lord. Verse 2. Oh, Lord. I mean, this is like totally in vain. Is this not when I said what I was still at home? Remember when I was at home, I was watching the game. I was thoroughly confused by Lost. I was not hassled by you. I was sitting in my underwear, eating things that end with Eto's. Before you showed up and you ruined my entire life and told me to go here. This is what I said would happen. I knew you would love these people and I don't like these people. This is what he says. That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I ran. Why? I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So Jonah starts brazenly echoing all of these things in the Old Testament scriptures that tell how good and wonderful God is. Exodus 34, 6 and 7, Numbers 14, 18, Nehemiah 9, 17, Psalm 86, 15, Psalm 103, 8, Psalm 145, 8, Joel 2, 23. And then he, like Satan, who's very proud, accuses God of not being faithful to his own words. Genesis 3, 1 through 5, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. He does this. You can look all those up later, by the way. Okay. When Jonah considers how gracious and good and compassionate and loving God is, he only thought about it in relation to himself and not those around him. But Jonah is no more righteous than the Ninevites, and he thinks that God only intended salvation for him and those people that he liked when God intends salvation for everybody. He's like, God, I knew you would like them, and that's why I didn't want to go. They're like, he's like, I can't stand them. They're all Kid Rock fans, and they wear black sneakers and white socks, and they all have mullets and drive little chrome bicycles, and they wear wife beaters and pimp pants, and I, and I hate them all. They're terrible people. i got to be with them in heaven. I don't like them. You know, he's like, ah, he's just freaking out. He's like, I knew you'd love them, and I don't love them. I knew you'd like them, and I don't like them. You say go, so I run the other way. You swallow me by a fish. You puke me on a beach. What am I supposed to do? I go in there fine, and I tell them about you, and they turn around. This is terrible. Can you see it? It's funny. 
He says, Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. It's like a junior high girl hopped up on emotion. It's like, ah! You know? And this is the thing for Jonah. I'm sure he's thinking about this. He's like, okay, I'm going to go home, and they're going to say, where'd you go for two months? Well, God showed up and called me to be a prophet. Oh, where'd you go to? What part of Israel? Well, uh, I went to the Ninevites. Oh, what'd God say? Repent or he's going to destroy him. Oh, good, what happened? Well, they repented. What? <laughs> and then they're going to be mad at Jonah because Jonah went and told them the truth. And, they were, and they're going to be like, well, what are you telling them that for? You should have ran. You have no idea. <laughs> You try living in the stomach of a fish for a few days, and you'll get it. You'll get it too. I, I after nine eleven, and, and the twin towers went down. There, were, our nation kind of went on their face for a little bit, and I, I was leading part of this prayer thing that we had, and I was the third person up in this. And I walked up and I told everybody I was totally honest, and I said my first response after nine eleven was that they should all die. Whoever was involved in this, they should just die. And then I proceeded to lead this prayer, and I asked God for the salvation of their souls. Because ultimately, we are to be about redemption. We are to be the ambassadors of Christ that tell everybody about... And that's... And that's and I was... I mean, I was like Jonah. But I really... It's just like, this is what God calls us to be. Jonah is like my first response. He's, he's angry. He's ticked off. He's like an Irish guy with a few pints in him. You know, he's just, he's just raring to go. He's freaked and weirded out. He doesn't know what to do. Verse 4. This is where God speaks, and this is great. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Have you ever been in a fight with somebody, you know, like you're sniffing at other, and they go, well, why are you so mad? What do you do? You're like, Gah! and you're just like, you're like, you're like tweaked to 11 at that point. And so Jonah is like, like an old married couple, and they're like, ah, and he and like slams the door and walks out. That's what Jonah does. He gets mad, and he slams the door, and he, and, he, and he walks out. And asking this question, God is basically asking Jonah, you know, whether God existed to obey Jonah, or Jonah existed to obey God. And so I think Jonah senses the futility of arguing theology and ethics with God, which we all should. And so he just refused to discuss it and he walks out of town and says, I'm done. I'm sick of these Ninevites. I'm out of here. Jonah's like, I'm done with God. I'm done with these people. But if Jonah went to Nineveh, how would he have been treated? They would have been like, oh, you preached to us. We are following. Come in. Oh, you're... I would be in Nineveh. I'd be like going, yes, when I speak, God judges. Give me a house and a car. And... <laughs> You know, it would be a good place to be. But Jonah can't stand him because he's like, oh, the freaks are in the city. I don't want to live there. This, this is awful. Verse 5. So Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. What's he waiting for? God to smoke the city. He's, he's that mad. I'm going to sit here 39 days, and when hell opens up, they're kindling. Yes, it's a beautiful thing. He is hoping that God is completely unstable, and that God's going to go back on what he said. He's going to destroy it all, and he's going to get a great seat of all the carnage. That God's going to change his mind. He hates these people. And sadly, Jonah is like many people who call themselves Christians today, and we go out of our way to avoid people we don't like, people that make us uncomfortable, people we would be happy to see not spend eternity in heaven with us. I think Jonah writes a little letter to God. He says, Dear God, this is Jonah. I know they say they're Christians, but please let it be fake and go get them. Jonah. I mean, I, I, you can just see it. I mean, it's like, how can God love those people that you hate? How can God like those people that you dislike or disagree with? And sometimes we sit in the solitude of ourselves and we just think, oh, I can't believe this. Oh, I just wish they wouldn't have ever believed. Oh, this is just so awful. And it's at this point that God produces this vine. It's a great prop on the stage. Verse 6. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy 
about the vine. John's like, well, that's better. Finally, something. And now, so God did the fish. He provides a worm. He later provides uh, wind. And he makes this vine grow up quickly. It provides shade over Jonah's head. That it's probably 100 plus degrees out there. It's, and it's probably not really a dry heat. It's probably not very, very comfortable at all. So this vine grows up. For the first time in the entire book of Jonah, Jonah's happy. He's like, oh, this is so much better. How nice of God. Bitter, angry prophet. Nice God. God sends shade. So Jonah, like medieval Irish, again, he's either asleep or he's angry, but God is just setting him up, totally setting him up. Verse 7, but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. Oh, this is the sovereignty of God, provides storm, fish, vines, worms, which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And here's it again. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Again, he says this three times in chapter 4. I wish I could just die. This is so bad. So early in the next morning, God, in his irony, I think he's being totally funny, just tweaking Jonah, sends a worm to chew this vine. A wind comes by, withers the vine, it falls down, and so Jonah's sitting there in the sun, head-baking, angry, just ticked off. He will not get up and find other shelter. And once again, it's like uh, arguments that we get into with our significant others, and, and it's like, what's wrong? Nothing. Well, don't you want? No. Well, I got this. I don't care. And you just sit there, arms crossed. You're just, I'm not going. I want them to know how mad I am. So Jonah sits there with the, with the sun on his head. He's like, I prayed and, and you didn't kill him and I hate them and you saved them and God does what he wants to do and not what Jonah wants him to do. And so he sits in defiance, nearly faint in the sunlight and he yells to God, I want to die. God. This is all about teaching Jonah. It is all about the redemption of Jonah because Jonah takes himself way too seriously. Way too seriously. Like us and driving, we take ourselves way too seriously. And God says, Jonah, you're taking yourself way too seriously. You need to take me as seriously as you take yourself. I mean, we get to this point too. It's, we look around the world and we think, man, God, can we just leave? Then we start reading all these stupid rapture books. And it's like, oh, we're going to all leave and, and the world's going to burn and we're going to... And that's not the point at all. The point is that we're supposed to be telling people the goodness and the graciousness and the love of God, and we shouldn't want to be like, oh, it's a trailer park called Earth, and I'm out of here. We should be reaching out to the world around us. Verse 9, But God said to Jonah, Do you have any right to be angry about the vine? Once again, in your fights, you say this, and what happens? Do you have any right to be angry with me? <laughs> you know, it's like things are going to start flying at your head any minute. I mean, God's like, Jonah, do you make vines? Do you make people? Honestly, for us, at any time, do we have any right ever to be angry with who God is? No, because he's God. God says to Jonah, the reason you are angry is that you think that you are God. Genesis chapter 3, all over again, we want to be God. Jonah's like, they do witchcraft and rape and idolatry. And God says, yes, but when I told them to stop, they stopped. When I told you to go, you ran. How much better are you? See, when we are angry with God like this, what we are essentially saying is that God is wrong, God must repent, and God must seek our forgiveness. When Jesus is in the wilderness, Satan goes and he, and he tempts Jesus you know, with the words of Scripture, throws it in God's face. And when we do this to God, when we throw things in His face, we are doing the same thing. We are demonic. We are godless. If you are angry with God, it is because you have placed yourself on the throne and you have stopped trusting who He is. When people you hate repent and, and you can't stand it. I mean, seriously, how would the American church really feel if maybe all the people in Afghanistan and Iraq turned to Jesus? 
They're like, no, 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 no. Some of them need to burn. That's, we, we, we want. That's how we feel. That's what we would do. See, this is the whole, the whole deal with that. I, I had a, actually, I had a friend uh, a few years ago. I, I led this guy to Christ. Nice kid. Really nice kid. He had a friend who was also a believer, and his friend's girlfriend was not. And he hated this girl. Just hated her. And she ends up, after a few months, actually becomes a believer, starts following Christ. And he's livid. He's like, I don't want her to be a believer. I want her to go to hell. And I'm like, wow, you got some issues. Let's look at Jonah. You know? and, he's, and he's just totally ticked off. And actually, I haven't seen this guy for about two years because he left because he was so angry at this girl becoming a believer. And sometimes we do that. I mean, God is like that. You guys got to lighten up. You got to lighten up. The Ninevites weren't mad. They're rejoicing. But, verse 9, but God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? And what does Jonah say? I do. It's like, once again, junior high girl, I do. I'm, so, I'm angry enough to what? Die. I'm so angry. I could die. You make me so mad. I can't believe you. Now, these conversations, they take place in, in private. But Jonah writes so we can see it. So you see that there's something that took place in his life. Later, like in public, you know, God tests us when we walk around going, oh, God's testing me, praise God. And we go home and we're mad. It's like, why is God doing this to me? What is the deal with this? God, and, we, and we're all angry. Jonah's private conversation now comes to public light because he writes about it. Verse 10, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine that you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. God says, here's the deal. You ran, I sent a fish. You got puked up, you preached, a quarter to half a million people get saved. And the only thing you are concerned about is this stupid vine. And God's like, I made the vine. God says, I did all the work. I'm the one who saved those people, Jonah. You're concerned about the vine. And I think like Jonah, the book brings us to a place of conviction where we have to look and say, what is our vine? Because we love the things that God has given us, from our homes to our cars to our hobbies to our friends to our health, more than the city that we reside within and the world that we live in. We walk past spiritually blind people every day and ignore them because our minds are so consumed with us and our own stuff. And we have to get past that. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of having lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. You get up and you're like, oh, I got a bad hair day. Ah! You know, well, you got hair. Okay? That's better than most people, right? You should be thankful for what you have. We are so into our stuff and we don't seek those people that need to know the graciousness and love of God that we know. And one day we get mad because all of our things that we have don't make us happy anymore because we've turned it into some type of idol and we stopped worshiping God because we become more devoted to it. So God takes it away. We're like, what? What are you doing? What are you doing? God takes it away, so we refocus, we worship Him. And God, who gets the first word in the entire book of Jonah, also gets the last word. He rebukes Jonah for loving the plant, more than 500,000 Ninevites. He resets Jonah's perspective. In verse 11, God says this, But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Now, the right hand from the left, this is a euphemism for small children because they can't put their shirts on straight. They can't put their pants on. Their shoes are on the wrong feet. It's like a frat guy after a good party on the weekend. He just doesn't know where anything, doesn't know what direction is up. You know? And so little boys, they don't know their right hand from their left. They don't know what is right, what is wrong. Men and women do. And so God says, should I not be concerned about the 120,000 children in that city? 
And so maybe Jonah's like, well, they're all snot-nosed brats. And this right here is the sarcasm of God, okay? And he says, or, and he says, and many cattle as well. So God's like, okay, maybe not the kids. But what about the cows, Jonah? Cows are colorful. They give you milk. They're made of steak. You know, cows are good. You know? So God just you know, throws a little irony in there, and he starts this little bit of sarcasm with Jonah. Now, if you are a missionary or creating like an evangelism team or something like that, who's the last person you're going to pick to be on your team? Jonah. I, I, I write recommendation letters for people all the time. Now I say, hey, can you write a recommendation? I go, okay. And I write these letters. If I had to do a recommendation letter for Jonah, you have like, you know, one totally disagree, five totally agree. It's like, loves people. Totally disagree. I mean, he'd get like just off a mark. No one would ever take him on their team. And yet God comes and he's the guy that he uses because he wants to transform Jonah. Throughout the book, Jonah always simply looks wicked, at least as wicked as the people he was sent to talk to. And if we and Jonah are messed up, why does God even care? Anybody? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. God loves the sailors. And so he goes and he has this whole thing happen with Jonah there because he wants to transform them. God loves Nineveh. And so he sends that Jonah there and he transforms the whole city. God loves Jonah and he is working to transform Jonah in his life. And so why does God send us to these places? Because God loves those who have no clue about him so he can transform them. And God loves those who hate Christians with good reason many times so he can transform them. And God loves you and I. And he uses you and I so he can transform us and our ideologies. Because this is, we are Jonah. We are Jonah. And you've got to ask yourself again, what is your vine? When I was growing up, I think my vine was cars and money. Cars and money. And every car I ever had gave me problems. If I owned a horse, the legs would fall off and it wouldn't be under warranty. You know, it'd be like, oh, sorry, your horse's legs fell off and that's just a fluke. I'm in high school. I, I get my first car. It's this 76 Toyota Courier. And my friend borrows it one day, runs it into a cliff, and so I finally get it fixed, and I'm cutting school one day. We're driving out of the school parking lot, and the heater hose inside the truck splits open, starts spraying us down with antifreeze. We're like, ah! I end up selling this car. My brother gives me his 240Z that he had, and the day I go to sell this car to a friend of mine, he drives it, the head cracks again, again, cracks again, and I can't sell it to this guy. So my wife and I, we, we end up getting married, and I got this Toyota pickup truck. And I'm driving. This guy comes the night before, gives me a deposit for it. I'll be back tomorrow to pay you the rest. Okay, great. I'm driving to work that morning. This dog the size of a woolly mammoth comes, <laughs> comes out of this ditch. It's like, bink! It's, I, you didn't even see it coming. Right in front of me. Bam! I knock it like 100 yards. I break the grill, bend the bumper. And I got to replace all this stuff just to sell my truck to this guy. It's awful. So my wife, we, we buy her this Mustang. It's great, 64 and a half Mustang. John Warren and I are underneath the hood of this thing every weekend, busting our knuckles because it's always broken. So I went out and I bought this Dodge pickup, brand new Dodge pickup, a bunch of years ago, that has spider cracks in the head. They have to replace the computer. The transmission has a recall. It's like all these, like, ah. Oh. So um, about, what, eight months ago, my wife and I got rid of our trucks and we bought... Two, no, about a month ago, I finally bought another truck, okay? Because I love trucks. Like, I have a truck, so I finally bought another truck, a used one, okay? I got this truck for a week. The fuel pump goes out. $600. I'm like, what? What is the... So two weeks after that, the catalytic converters go out. It's like, what is the deal? God! 
you know. And I, I've come to this place where I actually ask God, what do you want to teach me through this, rather than just pointing my finger and blaming him. Um, and I'm going to get pull this together. You'll get it in just a minute. Uh, Mark Driscoll tells a story uh, about his son, Zach. And he's like, you know, one day I come home, my son Zach's four years old, and he says, I swear somebody replaced my son with a replica miniature demon that looks just like my kid. I say, do this. He says, no. I say, you know, I love you. This is good for you. Why won't you do it? And he says, because I don't want to. I say, come here. He runs away. He gets busted. So his dad's got to say, you're going to stay home. You're kind of grounded. You've got to stay with me. So he gets really mad at his dad, walks up and takes a swing at him. His dad's got like 200 pounds on him, so this kid just crosses the line from optimism to suicide, right? It's like a... He goes, what are you doing? He's like, well, you're bigger, but I'm tougher. You know? Now, again, this is like a parent, okay? God knows at this point that Jonah is only going to change if he spends lots of time with Jonah because he draws him back, so God pursues him to spend lots of time with him. So Mark goes and he takes his son, and he's got this car, and he's got to rebuild this engine. So he says, you and me are going to rebuild this engine. And his son's like, I'm not going. You're, I'm slave labor, right? You know, it's like he thinks his dad's going to make him just work on it. You know, he goes, I don't want to. His dad takes him anyway. And after about two days, it gets to the point where they start to use pneumatic tools, which are air tools. You know, and so his eyes light up. He's like, oh, this is great. It's like a 40-year-old dude on his honeymoon. He's like, this is wonderful. This is the greatest thing in the world. So after a few days, he's got a sucker in his mouth. He's covered with grease. He looks at his dad and he says this. You guys just got that, huh? <laughs> he's, got a, he's got a sucker in his mouth he looks at his dad and he goes dad I love you more than anything in the world and it took days under the hood but finally he is working with his dad finally now is it easier to rebuild an engine without a four year old helping yes but it is about transforming his son so he works with his father God pursues Jonah Jonah's like oh you're using me you're overriding my will but God is like go with me because you will never understand or get this till you are with me on mission. Jonah with God. Is it easier for God to do it without Jonah? Yes, totally. But it is about changing Jonah. See, I believe God pursues Jonah long after the book ends. Long after. Because he eventually writes this book. And he must write it in repentance. See, if I were, you know, if Jonah never repented, if Jonah never repented, uh, you expect the book to vindicate him as like from this mean God who tried to drown him and later gave him third degree burns and spanks his inner child. Oh, God is so mean. Or you'd expect the book to read how he's such a great preacher and this whole city comes to know God because of him. But he doesn't. Instead, you get an honest glimpse of how sinful Jonah is. You get a glimpse of how graceful God is and the kind of self-righteous, racist pig that he and all of us would be if we lived without God, if God didn't seek us out. So he writes in repentance. And that is the question Jonah leaves everybody with, leaves us to ponder. Who would we be if God simply left us alone? If God did not run after us, who would we be? That is why at the end of every service we come to this place of repentance. Because we come and we ask God. It's about God. It's not about us. It's about His will and not ours. And we lay ourselves in His hands because He is the one who has chased and saved us. If Jesus had not come and died, where would I be? Apart from Christ, I'd be a self-righteous, arrogant man addicted to myself. And you know what? That's for Christians. And if you're not a believer this morning, the question for you is, where are you? Who are you? What are you? 
2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We come to this place and we must realize that we are nothing apart from Christ. We need to be like Jonah and be brutal and honest that God is a great God and we are all terrible humans. And sometimes Jonah even looks pretty good compared to you and I. Yet God continues to pursue him. And today God continues to pursue us in the person of Christ. And what would we look like and who would we be apart from him? Nothing. Nothing. And so this repentance, it leads to worship. It leads to seeking who he is and laying our hearts before him. If repentance ever leads to despair, it's because we remain focused on ourselves and not focused on who he is. Repentance, we come and we look at the cross of Christ and we celebrate because of what God has done for us. He has chased us down. He has loved us. And that as bad as we are is as good as God is and as faithless as we are is as faithful as God is and as self-consumed as we are is as selfless as God is in chasing us down. And the question for you this morning is, what is your vine? And if you are running from God, why? Today is the day to stop. Today is the day we, turn, we return and we focus and refocus our lives on who He is and what He calls us to be. And so that we begin to love the world around us in the same way that He has loved us. And we come to this place of communion where we, you come up and you, and you break the cracker and you dip it in the wine of the grape juice, which represents His body, which was broken for us and His blood that was shed for us. And we realize that we are no better than Jonah because Christ died for us to bring us to this place. So we, in turn, should be those same people who give everything we can to extend the love and the grace of God to other people. That is what God calls us to as His people. So this morning, we are going to come to the place and we are going to worship God. The band's going to come up and we're going to worship God through communion. And to give you a chance to reflect, you can ask God, God, am I running from you? God, I want to stop running from you. God, what is my vine? Uh, we're going to worship God through prayer. There'll be some elders in the back. And if you're in a place where you're like, I am running, and I want to stop running. This is my vine. I want to get past it. Talk to one of the elders and pray with them. If you want to stop running this morning, come to the place where you, where you simply go back there and talk with them and say, I want to stop running today, and I want to follow Christ. We're going to worship God through song. The band's going to lead some music, give you some time to reflect, give you some time to, to sit there and say, God, okay, what do you want of me? Uh, we're going to worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the side wall and in the very, very back of the room. And we're going to worship God through fellowship. When we're done this morning, I'm actually going to ask you guys to stack all your chairs because we're doing the movie this week. Uh, but stack your chairs and hang out and talk to each other and get to know other people because part of worshiping God is fellowshiping with other people. And again, I tell you this every week, that it is more important how you worship outside these walls and how you do inside. Your life lived among people is worship. And if this is the only place you worship God, then this is your vine. And you need to repent of that. Because you need to live for Christ out there more than in here. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we as your people ask that we would recognize what our vine is. That we would trust you to be our God and that we would live as your kids. That we would place ourselves into your hands. Because quite honestly, we realize that our hands are not very big. God, we ask that you teach us to be a people who live by grace of people who become humble, who come before you and lay our lives before you and hear what you have to say to us so we live and walk in the ways that you call us to live and walk. Help us to be your people and to truly call you our God. 
Amen.